Well, welcome back to A Voice in the Distance Ministries. Pastor Rick with you here once again as we are venturing through the book of James. This is going to be chapter 1, part 2. And, you know, James really tries to cover a lot in a uh, small epistle, is what we call. And, uh, you know, there's even in one chapter, he tries to cover a lot. So I felt that the need to kind of break it down and cut it down a little bit to, to elaborate on certain things that, that we could look at as a whole. And, uh, you know, that's what the Lord really wants us to, is to look at things as a whole. But he gives it to us in pieces, so that way we can take and absorb it. And, and so, praise be to God for the way that, that the Word of God was written to us. Because it really isn't that hard to understand. And we, we are thankful for that. Because he wanted to make it easy on us to understand. He, made, he wanted us to, to know what was what, and what he wanted, and what he didn't want. And that's what we see in the book of James, you know, a lot of what not to do and what to do as a, an actual Christian believer. And as I mentioned in chapter 1, if you were following along, that is who he was speaking to. James was speaking to an established Christian church in Jerusalem. James was the founding pastor of the area at the time, and, and so um, James was really trying to elaborate on things of need and what was lacking. And why is the book of James so important to us today? Because the, the, the same lack continues in our day and age, and, and that's why the book is 100% re, uh, um, relevant to us, relevant to the future. It'll be relevant for hundreds of years, to thousands of years, however long that, that this place will exist, the whole word of God will be relevant. But when we look at modern day, ancient day, modern day uh, aspects of how to be and how not to be, James is a wonderful book on such things. And it's, a, and it's based on so much truth. You know, and, and so, you know, we just, we're just going to jump right into it here because this is part two. This is part two. You know, James was speaking to the church earlier uh, on on other aspects of um, faith and, and, and trials and endurance. But now he kind of jumps into another realm, which is why I cut the chapter in half, because because we're in we're in a different set of waters now. And with that, he does kind of transition. You know, uh, he transitions into these things because they do kind of link into each other. If you've observed the lives of people, and you know, and, and, and I'm talking all classes of people, from, from the wealthy to the poor to the middle class, this relates to everyone. No one is left out. So I, I say pay close attention as you listen. And more than anything, pay close attention to the Holy Spirit as you hear what is being said through these words, through the Word of God in the book of James. We're going to be starting off in verse 9, uh, 9 through 12, but if you have a Bible with you, this is what it says. I'm going to read it to you. It says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a, fall, a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. 
but in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures the temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Why those two things? You know, when you look at it, it's a, it's a perfect contrast, because James uses these two things in the form of wealth and power, uh, prestige, if you will, you know, and then he, he jumps into the, uh, into the realm of temptation, because what is the, one of the biggest temptations in life, and one of that is in the, in the uh, dangers of, of riches, if you will, when it comes to worldly riches. Now, there are many people who don't like this. There are many people who will, you know, will refute this, or try to twist things, well, yeah, but, or, you know, that's not what it means. And it's very clear. It was very clearly written from Greek to clear English. <laughs> that is exactly what the Lord was talking about. It was about dangers. It wasn't talking about, you know, strictly the rich, but Jesus spoke first and foremost of the dangers. And and James just kind of carries on with the teaching of such a thing because he you know he witnessed it himself. This was years later after the death of Christ. This was years later after you know the gospels were preached and these things were said. They stood true. And and so I said before and I'll always say that you know I, I know wealthy Christians and they're wealthy because of one good reason because God allowed them to be. I know Christians who want to be wealthy but are not, and I think I can easily answer that as well because God does not want them to be for a good reason. But we don't always see it that way. You know, I'll, I'll never forget a conversation I had with someone once. You know, and he um, he used to be a, a lover of money and still is to an extent, I think. <laughs> you know, when you when you talk to them, and uh, <laughs> there was a a comment. That was made about when Jesus said that you cannot serve both God and money. Well, he tried to say that, well, you can, you can serve money just as long as you don't love it. So I, I paused for a second and I, I said to myself, and I think I might have even said out loud, that, well, if you love something or you love someone, you serve what you love. Or you serve what you lust. And so it was kind of a way to to twist and turn the particular scripture, and that it's, that it's you know no this is you know you can get away with this. No, there was the dangers. If you love something, you serve it. Whatever it is, I don't care what it is. You you end up serving it in one way, shape, or form. And, and so, but he says here that the, the riches of this world will definitely fall away, and it does. And, and so. Christians, if you will, who are not in these high positions in this world, you know, they should be glad. Because they, what they're going to be is great in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because, see, wealth can bring a distraction. You know, I, I've never understood prosperity gospels. Because if that were the case, then why weren't the apostles living in the largest mansions in the world along the Mediterranean coast? If anybody should have been living an extravagant, wealthy lifestyle, it should have been them. But yet they didn't, and neither did most of the followers. But there were also some wealthy followers who contributed to the cause. See, there's a difference. What God allows and what God keeps from. But you see, when, when, when you have wealth, extreme wealth, 
the poor really don't have too much to worry about except for their service and that of the Lord. Their, their focus is solely on that. Where other people are focused on obtaining, either keeping their wealth or growing it. That's the danger. Nothing wrong with having it. I said it last in the last chapter, and I've said it in many other books. Nothing wrong with having it, but there's something very wrong with it having you. And the poor should be glad, because the, the, the riches mean nothing to God. Okay, so... God kind of considers a lot of that stuff unworthy to him. And so, thank God for an unbiased love and, and demeanor. Because he speaks directly to the, both, to the wealthy, to the poor. And he addresses them just the same. Everybody has a responsibility to do what's right in the Lord's eyes. And so... We want to make sure that we, we do what's right in the Lord's eyes at all times. You know, God gives us all that we have. And so, you know, those who are possessed by their riches is, is who he's rebuking, if you will. And, and so, we've seen it before. Those, those who have money or prestige normally get favored, uh, particular favor from other people. And that's not something that God looks at with favor in his eyes. But there's a blessing for those, as he said in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures the temptation, for he has been approved, or she, if you will. <laughs> they will be approved of the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Satan tempts us with many things. Satan can tempt you with riches. He can tempt you with power and prestige. While God is telling us to stay away from those things because of the dangers it could, it could bring. Various trials, various temptations we're, we're tempted by, various things that he throws at us. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can, you can basically divert those things and, and, and smack them right out of the park with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because why? Because he says to those who love him. Paul said in, in Romans, he said that, you know, he says all good things come to those who love the Lord. And and so we want to make sure that we remember those those particular scriptures that that link into each other. Right? We don't want to we don't want to worry about giving in to temptation because of the because of the fear of our friends or of other men. I've heard I've said it before, you know, the old saying that, you know, the people like to say that if you can't beat them, join them. No, you've beaten them by not joining them. And, and so by joining Christ, you've beaten all odds. Check this out in verse 13 to 16. It says, but let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be, uh, be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So we, we need to remember that very important passage right there about the temptation and, and, and who it comes from and where, and where it comes from. You know, we, we, we blame every single thing on God. Yes, he allows all things, but certain things were not always caused by him. Yes, there was an allowance. Yes, there was certain things. But we need to keep in mind where a lot of the things come from. 
you know, people who live for God often wonder why they still even have temptations. You know, does God tempt them? Well, God tests us, but he does not tempt you. You know, he never tempts you in any form of seduction into sin. No, not at all. You know, God will allow Satan to tempt people, however, in order to, in order to refine us in our faith is how it works. That is the difference. And so that's what we need to remember. But see, God gives honor to those who draw away. You, you look at the, um, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. You know, Joseph was sold off by his brothers and, and to the Egyptians, and he was forced to, uh, 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 to move to Egypt without his family and and um his his master Potiphar his um, he, who he served under who was kind of like a, a very high uh, person in in the Egyptian empire his wife tried to seduce Joseph this good-looking 17-year-old young man Joseph ran away and avoided the temptation he wanted nothing to do with it God honored him for that and at some point when joseph did go to jail when he was falsely accused god did a number and put him during his release as second in charge in egypt so when desire has conceived it says and it gives birth to sin that's that's the interesting thing that's when you have basically given in and and that's where the fight must come into play we are always in a fight and, and you must fight for what is right and what the Lord is saying. It's always easy to blame others and, and make excuses for evil thoughts and wrong actions, but, you know, it's, it's really our doing in the long run. And, and the person who makes the excuses is trying to shift the blame from, from themselves, or, you know, to someone else, perhaps. And yes, there are, there are influences. I've been through it. I've seen others through it. And, and there are influences, but in the long run, we could have made the decision to do or not to do. Right? But, it, you know, what God is calling us in, in the book of James is calling us to, to, to accept responsibility for the wrongs. You know, confess them and so on and so forth, because God is quick to forgive. Verse 17 and 18 says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. That's something we really need to remember. You know, where all the good things come from. You know, a lot of people, you know, they're into Christianity because of what they think they might be able to get. And so, you know, we come in with, with wrong motives. And, and God's calling us to a higher standard. And so, praise be to him, because he is the standard. He is the exception. He is the rule. You know, I love the saying I've heard before. I use it all the time, that yes, God loves us the way we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us that way. That's what this is about. The, the the reforming of our minds and our hearts, and then in that through our actions. You know, I had I had a saying that um, I call it the three H's. It go it starts from your head, and then it goes down to your heart, and then through your hands. So from your head to your heart to your hands, 
it comes into your mind first. You ponder it. And then, and then it goes, it sinks down into the heart, which really makes you want to do it. But then from the heart, which drives you, it goes through your hands, which makes you either want to do something of good or something of wrong. And, and that's where I kind of came up with that particular uh, saying, the three H's. The he- from the head to the heart to the hands. And so, you know, James here has seen this stuff. Uh, James here is, you know, witnessing these things, and again, which is why we have these letters, which is why we have these reminders. Nothing's, nothing much has changed, but every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And that's what we need to remember, a perfect, the perfect gift, the good gift. You know, you look at the Bible, it, always, it normally compares goodness with light, and then you'll see evil with darkness. And so God is always of light, never of darkness. And so he brought forth the light. We are, the far, we are like that first fruits of his creatures. We are, mankind is the apex of his creation. But we're also the downfall of a lot of things in life, too. You know, James here is looking at his own generation of believers. You know, he calls them the first fruits because he's speaking to... Um, you know, to the to the Jewish, uh, the Judeo-Christian community of the first of the first church, if you will, and so them having it, that Jewish background, he speaks of the first fruits, which is one of the festivals that they celebrated out of the seven ordained uh, festivals, and so it gives them an understanding of uh, an understanding of who they are and what they are. You are the first fruits of God. Okay, because the first fruits are the ones that is what was accepted by God, which was blessed by God, formed by God. And that's what he wanted. He wanted the first fruits, and that's what we are. We are his first fruits as well. Verse 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to, speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And 21 says, Therefore I lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Slow to speak. You know, it's funny when you're in a conversation with somebody and they chime in right away. They, they, have, they have something they just want to say, but it has no substance to it. You know, they, they, they don't stop and think, but they just, they want to blurt out what it, they just want to say something. They have a lot of words, but they have absolutely nothing to say. And, and that is the dangers here of what he's speaking of. Well, may we all be slow to do all of those things. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, you know. Those are things that, that are, are a necessity in order to make it nowadays. We get ourselves in so much trouble. We've heard many things, you know, the, uh, of the reasons. Um, egos might be hurt. You know, I've been hurt. Uh, my opinions are not being heard. Um, you know, certain things like that. And, and so, you know, the thing with the, the Word of God is it's not based on, opi- on opinion. It's based solely on fact. Because what God said goes. And it's been proven, proven to be true. It's been it's been proven truthful. And so let us remember that to be slow to these things. You know, be be quick to quick to hear, but slow to speak, and especially slow to wrath. 
See, he says slow to speak first because it's normally it's something that we say that brings upon wrath of, of, uh, <laughs> upon the ones we speak to. And, and so the Lord knows what he's doing. He, know, he knows what he's talking about, but he says here to lay aside all those things, filthiness and the wickedness and the things that, that, um, that he detests. You know, so all filthiness. There was a passage in the book of Deuteronomy that always stuck with me, and it was to purge all wrong out of your life, or all evil, I should say. Purge all evil out of your life. And so, when you do, you know, you, you can actually kind of breathe again. Because, you know, you, the evil and the things are the ones that set fires to things. From our words. We set fires to things and then we, we fill the room with smoke and all sorts of other things. That, that doesn't allow us to be able to breathe. It doesn't allow us to be able to see. And by doing so, by not doing that, we, we could either put out a fire and better yet, refrain from even starting one. And so the meekness, as he said, the meekness that's implanted, you know, don't mistake in that with weakness, because meekness and weakness are two different things. We are called to be meek in the Lord, not weak. But meekness is in, is in, in one of the forms of greatest of, of that of humility, and, and something that James really makes a, a very important aspect of. Meekness. That's what God's looking for, a meekness in our hearts towards others. There's a lot of hardness. There's a lot of hard hearts. There's a lot of wickedness. But meekness, play, uh, that pleasures the Lord. That is something that he wants us to, 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 to look at and to, to be a part of. For his sake, for other people's sake. Why? Because selfish anger never helps anybody. And it definitely never helps ourselves. It doesn't help you. We feel like it does. We want to get it off our chest or we want to do this, but it does no good to us when we think about it. But my favorite verse, this is, this is, kind, of like the, this is kind of like the mission statement of life. It's, it's the mission statement I used in the previous church that I pastored in, which was a mission statement of life, James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible because it says be doers of the word, not just be doers of a few uh, verses that you might like. He's talking about the whole word of God. Be doers of the word of God. That's what I was talking about, about from the head to the heart to the hands. Do what it says, because you, 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 can't, you can't go to the gym and watch other people exercise thinking you're going to build muscle and endurance. You have, to be, you have to be working on that yourself. You know, in the ancient world, you know, for people to hear a teacher, you had to pretty much live with them. You had to walk with them. You know, when when, um, when Jewish rabbis and leaders seen somebody with potential, 
they would actually more or less kind of come tap him on the shoulder and say, come with me. And you lived with him, you ate with him, you, you worked with him, you, you did everything together. That was, that was the internship of the day. And through that, you were observing the life and the walk of that person. Because they were a doer of the word. But you had the other side uh, that he speaks of is like the man observing his natural face in the mirror and then, and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. And that would be the perfect example of preaching a wonderful, you know, powerful sermon on Sunday, you know, preaching the goodness and graciousness and the, and the, um, the beauty of heaven, but, but leaving it and living like hell on Monday. And so we have to remember this one as a life um, as a life example, as a life mission statement, be doers of the word, the whole word of God. Because it's the whole word of God that he's calling us to observe. And so, there is much, to, there is much work to be done. The perfect law of liberty, right? That's what he calls it. But he says in 26 and 27, and this is where it ends. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself spotted from the world. Two important things here. Taking care of two, two people... An orphan or a widow. And, you know, in the first century, orphans and widows, they, they had very little means of, uh, of support. You know, unless there was a, a family member that was willing to care for them, they had nothing. It's not like foster, they didn't have foster care systems or any of that stuff that we have today. But, you know, to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, we need to commit ourselves to Christ. And, and we need to consider, our, you know, commit ourselves to his ethics, his morals, his word. Like James says, being doers of the word. We, we're not to adapt to the world's value system, you know, which is based on money. It's based on power and pleasure. Because true faith, it, it means nothing if we've been contaminated with those things. And so... Unspotted from the world, he says. And that is the danger of those things. The wealth, the prestige, and the power represents the world. Unspotted. If you are blessed with wealth, may God help you to do what's right. Because after all, it was him who gave it to you. And remember, it's him who could take it away. And so... Reaching out to those, reaching out to those in need with whatever it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be money or possessions. It could just be your presence. It could be your heart and your mind, your, your a helping hand. Maybe it could be money. Maybe it could be something in need of, uh, of something that might help with somebody else's need and their possessions. God calls us to care for one another because he cares for us. You know, I remember Peter, 
Peter and John, when they, they, they said, you know, there was a, a crippled man on the side of the road. And he was begging for money, and they said, you know, silver and gold I have none, but here's what I've got for you. Be healed in the name of Christ. You know, in the name of Christ, they pick him up. And he's able to walk again. And that was worth more than any gold. That was worth more than any possession or any form of, of, of wealth. They had a heart and a care for him. And, 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 and through the Lord observing that, through their faith... And through their heart towards the crippled man that was begging, he was healed. And that was worth more to him than anything. May we help people in need of all sorts. You might be in the position one day to where you might need it. And that's a very humbling experience. Nobody really ever wants to be there. And there's some people who don't mind being there. But God doesn't call us to be there. He doesn't call us to be down and stay down. He calls us to get up and to help others up. The only time you should ever look down on anyone is when you're helping them off the ground. And so that is, that is the most important thing right there. Because Christ helped you off the ground and helped me off the ground. The only time he really looked down on anyone was when he was on the, on the cross and he had to look down and say, Father, forgive them for what they do, for they do not know what they do. We must look up. And I want you right now to make a decision to be able to look up and to receive that Lord and Savior who died on that cross for your sins and mine. See, I'm, I'm a product of, of, of sin, of wrong, and stuff like that. I'm a product of what was saved and, and delivered. And, and now I want to be a product of what James is talking about, and the ability to help somebody in however I can. You can too. But if you're doing it on your own behalf, it's done in vain. You're doing it for your own glory and for your own power and for your own recognition. We do it in the name of the Lord because he provides for us first. So I want to give you the opportunity to, to get to know him, to invite him into your heart, because that is where he wants to be. He wants to be walking with you, talking with you. He wants to dwell in you, and by doing that, you receive him as your Lord and Savior. You become a Christian by faith, by what you, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And by doing that, you will be with him. In eternity, when your time comes, he promised that. There was a thief on the cross. There was two of them next to him. And one of them, they were both mocking him in the beginning, but one of them actually was, was overcome by the Holy Spirit and said, we deserve to be up here, but not him. And he said, Lord, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus looked at him and said, assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. And I believe that happened. And that is one of the most precious verses that I enjoy. And it's one that you can live to right now. You could say, will you remember me? And he's already got a place for you, but you've got to receive just like that thief on the cross did. If you want, you can repeat after me and mean it in your heart to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Dear God, 
please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins as I confess to you that I am a sinner. Wash me and cleanse me, Lord, of all of my sins. And I ask, Lord, that you would receive me now as I receive you as my Father, as I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Receive me as your son or your daughter. Receive me as your child, Father. I thank you for dying on that cross for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I receive you now in my heart as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, it's always, you know what they say, the best for last, right? Giving your heart to the Lord. That's what it comes down to. This is what it all really comes down to. He wanted you for a long time, and he had an appointed time for you. So congratulations if you had said this prayer. Congratulations on, on, on receiving him. Whatever it is you're going through, may you see a new turn in your life. Because only he can do that for you. But you have to take the step towards him too. He'll meet you halfway. He'll come straight to you. It's what he did for us all. So congratulations if you said that. May God bless you and keep you in your continual walk in life. Much love to you and God bless you.